0: Good morning, Anthem. It's good to be here with you guys, Uh, even though we're live streaming. um, As Jacob said earlier, this is the last week that we'll be in our studio, so really excited to meet with you all next week in person. But today we're going to be picking back up in our study on the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through that, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you guys to open those and uh, study along and just we want to invite the holy spirit here and now just to speak to us through his word we believe god when he speaks it in his word that it's powerful and that we want to respond to it we want to take it in and just listen to what he wants to speak to his church today so the passage we'll be covering will be uh matthew 6 verse 13 but i'm going to read the whole prayer so we're going to be starting in verse 9 and it says this pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let's pray and just ask God that he speak to us through this text. God, as we come before you, we want to just uh Take a posture of humility and uh, ask that you speak to us clearly. Um, Lord, if there's things that hinder us from hearing your voice, uh, distractions or whatever it is, God, we, uh, we need your help to hear. When, as your people, we want to respond to what you speak. Help us uh, to have insight and just a, a fresh understanding, Lord, that we'd be excited that we are your children and that you are here and that you're moving and active and alive. So we just ask and pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So we've been in this Sermon on the Mount, studying through this whole passage, kind of taking it bit by bit. And right now we stopped in the section that's the Lord's Prayer. And today our focus is on the last bit, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. But kind of, I want to kind of go back and kind of point out some things that help us to understand as we move forward and how do we understand the prayer. Um, th- there's some important things that I, I think help understand where it sits and what's being communicated through this whole prayer. So it's important to know that Jesus only taught one prayer. Somebody who spent a whole lot of time in prayer, where it's recorded in other Gospels, it's the same prayer when he was asked lord jesus teaches how to pray he was taught that he taught them this these words to use and interesting enough where it sits in the middle of the sermon on the mount it's kind of right in the center of it so it kind of works as a bridge if we kind of look at that it kind of connects we look at the words it kind of connects what we've already been through and it already connects what we'll be moving into so when we when we hold it right at the center and we can say, what are we saying? What words in prayer are we saying? It helps us understand kind of what comes, came before and what will happen moving forward. So some writers have even proposed that the prayer is the key to understanding this whole sermon itself. That, that there's things that kind of wrap it all together. Um, even, even the gospel itself. Uh, Tutilian called it, it's the abridgment of this gospel. So if we were to kind of take how Matthew wrote and kind of summarize in a couple short sentences, it kind of covers most of the main points of what Matthew continue wrote about. Another thing to keep in mind is kind of the communal aspect of the prayer, where a lot of times when we pray, it's me, my, and and that's fine, but as we look at the prayer, it's important to note that it is our Father, it it's the the communal aspect and that's the same as the body of Christ when we pray it, it there's it's more than just us it kind of opens our minds to just the broadness of the communal and that it's more ab- about people than it is just about the individual but i want to kind of back up and put it and frame it in context of where jesus is moving and where it sits so if we pick up in verse 7 it says this and when you pray Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. So he's saying, hey, pray like this. Here's the example. But he's also speaking against something. It kind of implies that people knew something about prayer. They they knew what he was speaking against. Hey, don't pray this way, but actually pray like this. And it it it's assumed that people would be praying when you pray, not hey, you should try this new thing, actually try praying. And and Jesus throughout this whole teaching has been getting at heart motives every section. He's driving deeper, deeper into what motivates us at a heart level. So when we pray, how how are we to view prayer. What, what is the heart motive behind it? And he's speaking against something. Hey, some people, you've seen it modeled this way. Don't pray like that. Don't heap up these vain words, these repetitions. And they're very familiar with it. It's assumed and implied in the text. And then it says, for your father knows what you need before you ask. So that's kind of an interesting statement. God actually knows what we're going to that what we need before we even ask and so wrestling with why are we praying and I think we're going to come back to it. I think how we view and interpret this whole uh... prayer will help us understand why that statement would be made so verse 13 where we're kind of sitting today the the main focus is this and and we're going to come back to uh... what our our father knows what we need before we ask we'll kind of circle back around to that but our main scope is this, and lead us not into temptation, but to de- but deliver us from evil. So, immediately you might read that and kind of be like, hey, I kind of have an ob- objection to this. Does it really just indicate that God is tempting us? You, when you read it, hey, lead us not into temptation, it almost would imply that God himself is the one who tempts us. And uh, that's kind of hard to understand. And so... Is that what's really being communicated here? For God to actually lead us or set us up to fall, why would Jesus say that? Why would he say, hey, use these words, don't tempt us? But when we come to places like this in scripture, um, we kind of have to look at the rest of scripture. The best way to kind of interpret scripture is through the rest of the Bible. How does it align? What, what, what is the harmony? Um, it, if we want to see how it aligns with the rest of scripture, uh, will understand this immediate meaning. So, can can God tempt us? Does he tempt us? It's a valid question that might lead us to think that he does. But if we turn to James, James kind of addresses that argument directly in James chapter 1. And James chapter 1 says this. Verse starting in verse 12. It says Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no man say when he is tempted I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So so right there we very clearly see God doesn't tempt man. God can't be tempted with that. He doesn't use those devices to see if, we're, if we have allegiance to him. But what does it rather say? It says, hey, we are actually tempted when we're lured away by our own desires. So is there a translation error? What, why, why is it worded this way? And, and many church fathers, it's worth pointing out, they kind of wrestled with this. Uh, this the statement lead us not into temptation, and some even propose changing the word to maybe trials or a little different structure in the sentence to help clear up the confusion that it might immediately lead to. But the translation, however, when you look at it in the original writing, it it really does use the word tempted. It's not using the word trials. Well, yes, trials is certainly a part of being tempted and can be used and we can gather other scriptures that show us, hey, we go through trials because they build something, they they refine us and they can be used for good. But we're specifically speaking about being tempted. So the word temptation is correct. Um, this this text and the, the translation is preserved in, in many early writings. It's preserved exactly this way in Matthew. It's preserved this way in Luke and other uh, early church writings from Polycarp to the letter to the Philippians and the Didache, they all use this exact phrasing. So if it's tempted, is there a contradiction? If we, if we see, hey, actually, if we're trying to do the best we can in translating these exact words to understand their full meaning, um, is, is there a contradiction? Is this just a mistake in the Bible? But I'd say no, no, there isn't. Let's, let's look closely at what's actually being communicated here. Um, it says, lead us not into temptation. So the key is lead us not. It isn't asking. Jesus isn't telling us to say, God, don't tempt us, but lead us not along the way of temptation. Don't lead us into that. Not don't tempt us, but do not lead us into this. Um, It's not implying the possibility of God himself tempting us, but... Uh, that he's actually the one who guides us and we're asking him to lead us away from situations where we have the potential uh, to be tempted to actually fall into sin. And when you align that with the section before of dealing with sin, our debts and our transgressions, it makes a little more sense. And similarly in scripture, we see these type of statements being Echoed through the psalms david used this language quite a bit for a couple examples psalm 141:4 says this do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in the company of men who work iniquity do not lead me along this or psalm 58 lead me o lord in your righteousness because of my enemies make your way straight before me psalm 27:11 Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. So we see this kind of, this language of of lead me. I I have this tendency and this proclivity to walk in directions that I shouldn't. My feet will follow things that I know that I shouldn't. Keep me from that, but actually lead me into something else. So we we see that echo throughout scripture. So I don't think it's a contradiction. Now for this whole prayer, I think there's, there's a couple key words that help us understand uh, this and give this more dimension. Um, how are we to better understand this whole prayer but specifically these verses and the first word is back in verse 9 and it says Father. Even the basis on which we ask. It's who our, our prayer is who's the object of our prayer and the, rela- and the relationship that actually exists in that word in that term um, that we would address God Almighty as Father that's pretty profound, so there's there's kind of this duality that would exist um we have this God who's God almighty he's this transcendent God, yet he's imminent, so meaning this transcendent being above and beyond uncontainable in in in, in this world he he's we can't fathom who he is he's beyond our understanding yet he's imminent he's near he interacts with people he he near. He's concerned with what we do and how we speak and how we are doing and feeling in, in love. And so you have this transcendent God, yet he's imminent. And we have this Father, yet he's fully divine. These two things that exist that are true. And in light of these realities, we are still invited to use the word Father. And in, in, in the reality that he is the supreme creator over all the earth, he's the sovereign, yet he invites us to use this word father address him as father when we go to speak to him now i have kids and when they address me they would they would come in and speak to me and say dad you know and and dad i i, I would like something or i want to talk to you and they, they use this title and it kind of sets up a different relationship from the beginning it's very different from them coming up and saying Mr. President, I would like to offer my petition, right? It's just very, very different. Um, It's not your honor or your highness um, being very formal or a higher level protocol, but father's kind of this reserved privilege, right? When you use that word immediately, if my son comes in and asks for something and says, Dad, um, I'm, I'm thinking this that immediately sets up a total different title than anybody else who would come and speak to me on those levels. It, it implies this relationship. Um, it implies something much closer than that. And then when you kind of have that dualistic view of this, this God and this father and this intimate relationship, yet his sovereign supreme power, this transcendent realities of who God is, it's kind of leaves you speechless. Um, and so we would ask, Hey, would what a loving father, if God is a loving father, would a loving father ever want to push us to be tempted? Would he set us up or put things in our way just to see us fall, to maybe so he can come in and rush in and be the superhero? I mean, what what father would do that? That's kind of demented, and we would know that as as our human nature fallen, as it were, um, that isn't right. So how much truer about a God who's perfect in being a father? So. We, we would want to run to him and show reliance on him. We'd want to run to him in danger. So we have that relationship as father. So that's one of the key words is father. And, and the other one is this. It's in verse 11 is give us this day our daily bread. And I think the key word here is we see daily. Um, implying the frequency of it. Now, we have a father and then we are to come to him daily to ask for these things. Now, here's some things that it doesn't imply. Like how many of us have, have forgotten to pray this daily? Like if you're really honest, do you say, I actually didn't pray this prayer. God, give me my bread today. Sustain me today. I mean, how much, how many times have we actually forgotten to do this? Um, probably many times. And And some people maybe are very thorough and disciplined at at praying this, but what this is not communicating is that if we pray or the functionality of prayer, hey, if if we do this using these words, that it's this kind of incantation of the correct words at the right frequency that God is compelled or moved to answer us right? Because we, we could say, hey, if I say the right words, God will respond to me, and, and I better make sure it says daily, so I better do this daily. Well, the inverse statement is also true. So if we said, hey, how many times has God actually provided for you when you didn't pray? Right? The, how many times has his will been done when we didn't ask for it? Is, it? is his kingdom still coming? Does God provide for us? And so we can see it isn't this magic frequency of which we do this, but there's something much deeper going on. So, so why pray to begin with? If, if, if it isn't about the right words in the right order at the right time and to understand the daily and, and the father, I think we need to ask the question of why were we made? Let's go back to original ting. Why? What was the purpose of man? Why were we made? And if, if we're made to, to know God, to be in relationship with him, a loving relationship with him, it, it frames it very differently in how we'd approach him instead of this, being this kind of deistic view of this remote, uh, angry God who might interact with mankind only when we say or do the right incantation. But the, the greatest command was this, that Jesus said this, that to love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So, if the greatest thing that you could ever do right now—not not your mission, not what your your priorities are, loving your family—but that actually you would love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with everything that you are made up with your your total soul, this is this is highly relational statement. It implies kind of a closeness that we we would draw near to God, and that He in return would would draw near to us, and. When, when we realize that, hey, why were we made? And then the aspect of daily and father, it starts to take shape. This is a loving relationship with this context within which these live. And Jesus' example of prayer in his time was very different from what the religious leaders modeled in that culture. Before, um, currently the understanding of their prayer would have been modeled as being just highly formal repeating very, very exact words, repeating scripture. But Jesus is kind of very informal. I mean, to point out, this wasn't the only prayer he said, but when he would address it, it would be like this conversational of somebody that he knew intimately. And even the dialect that he uses, most of the Hebrews would actually pray in their language of Hebrew, but Jesus uses Aramaic, kind of the common person language. So there's a lot going on when people saw Jesus pray they're like what what is this this is very different he addresses Yahweh God as father and he uses this kind of intimate language and so Jesus kind of modeled to us that prayer was highly relational and kind of shows the intimate connection between a loving father and a dependent child so so when we go back to our father knows what we need before we ask, but yet pray, I think that better helps it if we frame that relationship, a loving father and a dependent child. How how many times do you know if you're a parent what your child needs? They don't need to come to you every day around five o'clock. They could be like, you know, they're going to come and say, I'm hungry. What are we doing for dinner? And you're not going to say, Hey, don't ask me that. I already know what you need before you ask that. That's just a very wooden type of relationship but we would never do that but we invite that in and we'd have this dialogue and a deeper understanding that I I know and I care and I'm looking out for you in such a way that I, I know your needs I see them more more articulately than you even understand them yet God wants us to come to him And it's not this mechanical thing in form, and it's not like magic in action, but rather it's relational. So when we say Father and we have daily the the consistency of it, this whole prayer kind of in that context changes our perspective. And we said as we move through each section, hey, this is a perspective shift. How we see God, these things point to something so much bigger than just the here and now. So when we pray through the whole thing, hallowed be your name, what's our perspective shift? It's showing us that God is holy, he is perfect, his name is sanctified, or your kingdom come, it it shows God is in authority, he he rules over us. This this language aligns and shifts our perspective to that. Your will be done. That, That teaches us to trust, God your will is right. We want to trust that. Give us this day our daily bread. That shows we need God's provision. It's it's he who actually sustains us physically, spiritually. We have a reliance. We're not self-sufficient. Forgive us. It shows that we were wrong. It recognizes our wrongdoing. That God is right and we were wrong. And then the joy we would experience through the confession and actually receiving that forgiveness. And then it's not even just a vertical, but then we bend it out towards others. To kind of go back to to fully leading a life that's flourishing as, as, as in the first part of this sermon. That we need to be forgiven so we can fully experience a flourishing life. And then we come to this section, lead us not. It actually confesses our vulnerability. And these statements align our hearts, our minds. So the the close relationship between God forgive us and lead us not into temptation. You can see the relationship. If we just prayed, hey God, I I have wrongdoing. Forgive me. I I need to deal with the problem of sin. And and moving on and says, and yet lead us not into temptation. I'm, I'm confessing, hey, I'm vulnerable. My tendency is to walk into things that could harm me, that could even allow me to fall into sin. God, keep me from that, keep me from evil. And you can see how those work together. And Jesus took sin very seriously. And in the context of the sermon, when we're looking through all these sections on lust. And oaths and anger and loving our neighbors, we see that he really pushed hard at the heart, motives behind these things and, and the realities of sin and what they do and the separation are um, lost, our anger. Uh, but we'd also do wrong to think that this prayer is just sin management. If you want to see religion go wrong, deal with it as just that, just a way to, to manage our sin. Um, just be a better you, right? But that, that's not really the point. What is it? The reality is that sin separates. Um, relationship, if we're talking about this is a relational thing, relationship is hindered, a broken communion, a blockage there uh, when sin happens. And by praying this, hey, lead us not into temptation, we're recognizing the dangers we may face daily. The realities of what's really happening out there. And, and it sets us up, hey, we are vulnerable. God, we, we've dealt with our sin. And thank you that by your grace, you will deal with us and forgive us and help us to forgive others. And God, I am I, vulnerable. I will walk into things that shouldn't protect me from that. It aligns our minds. It says, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So not just keep us from bad things. I think there's something, you know, the the really dangerous stuff. I think it's much bigger than that. Don't lead us into evil. Um, the the translation almost can be a personification of evil or, or the evil one. Some translations even use that. And it kind of enlarges our understanding of just evil being bad things that happen in the world or, or maybe sin. It's much bigger than that. Remember where we are in Matthew in in chapter 4 we just came off of Jesus being tempted directly by Satan himself so maybe he has us in in perspective that he w- was led and and was tempted by Satan directly to compromise on God's word and 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 other truths that God has set up but God Jesus used God's word to to re- refute Satan and i think if we take the whole totality of God's word we see that God word paints a much bigger picture of evil than it just being this little simple essence of something like well that's pure evil it's much bigger than that um ephesians six twelve says this for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places if you, Paul is a painting this idea that, hey, there's something so much on the spiritual realm that's happening. There's other powers at play. There's there's spiritual darkness. There is evil in the heavenly realms that is against you. There's a battle raging on all around us, and a lot of times we are not aware of that. We live life not even comprehending there's so much bigger happening around us than just doing simply bad things. We have an enemy. It applies that, hey, if this is keep us from the evil one, we actually have an enemy and, and that we're in the middle of a, uh, in a battle and that this, this evil one and these systems are kind of influencing the world and the people around us. Uh, Peter warns us this in First Peter 5 eight. it says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's kind of a sobering statement that there is a spiritual being that actually has something specifically out for you. That he, they liken him to a lion that wants to walk around and destroy a person. And we see when we wonder why things have gone so wrong. Why is there evil? We can. It makes sense that, hey, there's somebody who wants to just fool people around us to the realities of God's goodness and God's plan and God's original intent. And if we belong to Jesus, we're followers of Jesus, we have an enemy who wants to trip us up to keep us from walking with him, to keep relationship. They want to hinder and separate. Um, and then these things, when we pray this, it kind of awakens our minds to these realities. It, it opens our, our hearts and our thought patterns to, hey, we actually can be tempted. Maybe we better be careful what we're walking into and what we're doing. Um, and and with temptation it's kind of interesting a lot of times you would be uh you might think that temptation is big things god keep me from murder keep me from adultery and these really big grievous sins in our culture right but it's important to notice there's the little things too the slower things that really can take a toll and sometimes we're just like we only are worried about falling into the great big things but if this is a battle we have an enemy that wants to use little subtle things And some people's interaction um, to this is maybe, oh, I don't want to be a part of the world. The world is evil, and I want to remove myself far away from it so I won't be tempted. But the problem is temptation still kind of exists in isolation. If the enemy wants to separate us from people of God, people that we can be accountable to and have relationship and encourage us and use our giftings towards one another, probably separating yourself out isn't the best idea. I mean, how can you be salt and light if you're kind of hiding away from temptation and evil but temptation still exists whatever state you are in if you're very immersed in the world and its systems temptation exists there if you're trying to isolate yourself and pull yourself away temptation still exists there and uh one of my favorite authors c.s lewis wrote a book uh, screw tape letters and it's about Um, demons writing back and forth to each other on how to tempt and how to trip up people, how to get people, sidetrack them, their very souls. And I'm going to read you kind of an excerpt from it to help kind of wrap our minds to like these little things and how temptation works. And it says this, you will say, These are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. And this is in context of a senior demon writing to a younger demon who has a patient that they're trying to lead away. You're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is is the extent to which you separate man from the enemy the enemy being God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that the cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And i think this captures in this kind of allegory real real accurately and articulately just the little things and a lot of us maybe we do struggle with really big temptations and big sins and that is the reality that we can fall into that but usually it's a it's a long path to get there the subtle things and if we have an enemy that just little bits here and there leading us on a long trajectory to slowly separate us from god That would awaken our minds to think, hey, we really need to be reliant on on God as a loving father. Daily petitioning him, God, I have this tendency to fall. I have this tendency to wander off into sin. When we pray the rest of the prayer, frequently it will help us even begin to operate correctly. Daily, sometimes we never even think about this stuff, if we're honest. I mean, how many times have you got up in the morning and the first thing out of your mind is, oh God, help me not to walk into temptation. Help me not stumble. But maybe that's the point. It opens our mind, oh my gosh, I am dependent on God. I need you in in the little things as much as the big things. And to, to kind of cover this section also, in light of current circumstances, lead us not into evil. It, it's really interesting. How, how, do, how do we proceed here and now with what's happening in this, this current moment in our culture, in our world right now? I think the key thing is how do we respond, you know, when the news and all around us, just live demonstrations when we've seen atrocities against mankind and, and evil that we can say, hey, this was an evil act and it is not just. How do we respond? How, how do we live every day knowing that we are dependent on God? You know, well, I propose a couple things. Start in prayer. I think this prayer is a really good aligning heart and mind aligning point. Are, are you actually praying before we act, before we respond to a culture, before we even set foot out into this world? Um, recognizing, hey, a lot of times we don't start the day even thinking, hey, there's a potential that I have this enemy that's going to try to trip me up today, try to use things to to lead me away from God, to try to move my thoughts and my heart away from the things that matter to God. Um, A lot of times that thought has never crossed our minds. It's never crossed my mind on a daily basis. And uh, wrestling through that, you would be like, oh my gosh, I see just as prayer in a totally different light like it it's a really good practice to to align these things to remember hey this helps me know i i need god our, our, this loving father this relationship and you know before we respond to things like we're in this this culture. How do you respond to your family? How do you respond to your co-workers? You know, with, with social media, we can just jump on things in our technology. We can respond to the world in ways so quickly that it doesn't even take much time to think. And uh, I think there's a lot of that going around just to speak uh, right into our culture that like, hey, we can just pick something up and type whatever thoughts come to mind. But I'd encourage you guys like God might have a plan and purpose to speak to situations and into the lives, but I would encourage you start with praying, hey, is my heart aligned with you, God? Keep me from saying foolish things. Keep me from living in such a way that uh, that doesn't show people in the world accurately who you are in your heart. And even just that, that helps us to know how to walk. Um, we, we need to have a great dependence on Jesus, church. Um, moving forward, church is just different. Um, we we don't know what it will be like, but every day if we corporately begin to pray this, God, provide for us. Your will will be done. God, forgive us. Let's deal with our sin problems moving forward. God, we are so easily swayed and will wander off from things. Help us not to do that because that isn't right. We're going to find there's great power in our dependence on God. And I think as a church, we need to move forward. Uh, Even more, uh, just our dependence on His Holy Spirit that lives in us. Um, At the time of the prayer, the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out. And how much richer do we have that now? Where we have God's very Spirit living in us and and working through us. But I think we need an alignment in heart and mind to to remember, hey, this is the way the world truly is. There's There's an enemy. It's so much bigger than just the here and now and going through our routines daily. So uh, as we close, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray for us. Um, just that God's speaking to you, that we, we, we would respond. Um, if we need to be more disciplined in saying this, to, to help us align better with God, who is our loving Father. Daily, this consistency, that it is a good thing in our walk in becoming more like Jesus. So let's pray. God, we we thank you for your word. We believe it to be powerful. God, forgive us when... Uh, we, we don't come to you first uh, as a loving Father, as a caring Father who knows. Um, Jesus, help us to not walk into things, help us not speak things or, or be quick into things that are not right. You know what is best. We, we know we have an enemy. Help us to operate uh, daily just in these realities. Um, that we see the importance of, of, of the world who is blinded and lost and does not know the truth because of the evil that exists. God, help us to be people who stand for your justice, to stand for your word and your truth. And God, we invite you uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, work through us as your people, as your church. It's in your name we pray. Amen.